0: Hello, and welcome to the eighth episode of the McMaster Communications Governance Observatory podcast. My name is Samantha Naidu, and for this episode, we will be exploring the topic of platform regulation. To speak more on this topic, we have Dr. Tamara Shepherd, an expert researcher and assistant professor in the Department of Communication, Media, and Film at the University of Calgary. So for our very first question, the International Grand Committee on Privacy, Big Data, and Democracy just recently met in Ottawa in May 2019. And essentially, there are a lot of elected officials from a very broad range of countries. And if you could speak a little bit about some of the concerns of these elected officials that formed this committee.
1: Okay, so I think it's interesting that you're asking me about this International Grand Committee on Privacy, Big Data, and Democracy. Um, which seemed to have its sort of main concern be about the threat of anti-democratic misinformation campaigns on social media. So things like we've seen with Facebook and recent elections, um, I mean, most famously in the case of the U.S. in 2016, which is becoming an issue again as we approach another election season in the States. So that seems to be the main reason why this commission committee was formed. Um, And that problem as the way they've articulated it, it is tied in with privacy concerns as shown with things like the Cambridge Analytica scandal. So that's sort of the main concern. And I think the different governments brought that up in different ways, um, according to their local context. But what I find interesting or most interesting about this grand committee is the way that it tried to bring those many governments together. And I think this is an important step and one that we're gonna see more of in the future. Um, even though some notable countries like the U.S., where a lot of the controversy has taken place, were missing. So um, there was, you know, uh, I think there were maybe 10 or so countries involved in this one. And I think it would take probably more than that for companies like Facebook to take more notice, because in this case, in the one in Ottawa, both Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg failed to appear in front of this committee. So that's a problem. And they seem to be called to testify before a lot of different committees in different states. <laughs> and so um, they're probably spread pretty thin right now and trying to account for all of the stuff going on on Facebook. And I think if there were some sort of more um, comprehensive committee that they would appear in front of, that might help. And, um, and it might take this sort of integrated international effort to try to group together all the concerns with Facebook in order so that it might be better regulated. Because as it stands right now, Facebook is bigger than any particular country. And then the total population of all of those countries involved in the grand committee combined anyways, by far. So I think it's going to take a lot more of a concerted effort um, from from more countries in order for these things to have, um, their desired effect.
0: No, I completely agree. And then I guess scaling it down a little bit to Canada, what are Canadian regulators doing to regulate
1: platforms? Yeah. So in Canada, there are different regulators that are involved or could be involved, um, if they're not so much yet in regulating platforms, um, at the grand committee, we saw that the Office of the Privacy Commissioner of Canada, for example, was um, featured. So the Privacy Commissioner deals with federal-level privacy legislation. So in this case, um, the main piece of legislation that applies to Facebook would be something like PIPEDA, which is the Personal Information Protection and Electronic Documents Act Act. And that covers the commercial collection and uses of online data. So that's an important piece of legislation in Canada that's been used to address privacy concerns with Facebook in particular for a number of years now. Um, But the discussions, I think, go beyond privacy to invoke things like antitrust, which could potentially be addressed by the Competition Bureau, although they haven't really talked about that yet in relation to platforms, Um, as well as some idea of internet infrastructure, which could be addressed by the CRTC um, in terms of looking at sort of broadband policy or similarly looking at broadband um, innovation science and economic development Canada has done some things, formerly Industry Canada, has done some things in that area too, um, thinking about both fixed and, and wireless um, delivery of the internet.
0: Okay, and then I guess in your personal opinion, do you think this is a good start, this is enough, or do you think there is a lot more that should be done? And if you do, what kind of ideas do you have about that?
1: Yeah, so I think so far in terms of Canadian regulators, they're only just scratching the surface for the most part with what could be done um, to regulate platforms. So as I mentioned, the Office of the Privacy Commissioner, um, the federal level one, as well as a couple of the provincial privacy commissioners. So Uh, Most recently, the Privacy Commissioner of British Columbia has teamed up with the Federal Privacy Commissioner to take Facebook to task for some of the breaches um, as part of Cambridge Analytica, for example. So they're doing a lot to try to look at privacy implications. But as I mentioned, there are other government agencies um, that could be doing things that maybe aren't yet really so active in this space. And one of the main challenges for Canadian regulators is that the platforms are not located in Canada. So, you know, they're they're U.S.-based platforms. And so there is this kind of tricky issue of jurisdiction because there are Canadians on Facebook, obviously. But and that's how the Office of the Privacy Commissioner um, exercises its jurisdiction to try to um, hold Facebook up to PIPEDA, for example, But it's more difficult for other regulators potentially. So like I mentioned, the Competition Bureau, it's kind of difficult for the Competition Bureau to look at a company like Facebook and say, okay, well, they're operating in a monopolistic way when they are not a company based in Canada and would not be subject to Canadian competition regulation in that sense. So it's difficult to hold um, these sort of like foreign-owned platforms to account in that way. That's probably the main challenge that Canadian regulators have to overcome, but I think that there is potentially more they could do um, to at least raise these issues. Um, I think in Canada we have a really robust tradition of, of public consultation around uh, media regulation and things like grant commissions and, and, and things like that that we have as in our toolbox to start looking at these issues. And I think just starting the conversation at this point would be valuable.
0: No, I completely agree. And I guess moving a little bit back to when you were talking about antitrust action, there has been a lot of discussion. Sorry, I think there was a lot of discussion at the grand committee about breaking up these big platforms like Facebook, Amazon, or Google. And would it be possible for you to maybe explain what this antitrust action would be? And then is, is it necessary? And then what would these breakups actually look like?
1: This whole antitrust discussion is really, really interesting to me, um, because it is something that we see bubbling up a lot recently. And, um, it's, it's really a a very old, form of regulation. So um, around the turn of the 20th century, so over 100 years ago, Canada, like the U.S., passed pretty strong antitrust legislation after noticing the way that capitalism tends toward monopolies. So this is just a a feature of how capital works. So successful companies will buy up or merge uh, with their rivals until the market gets controlled by one large company. So this is a problem for a lot of reasons. So we can think in a generic sort of way, in any sort of industry, this is often a problem because then the prices to consumers can rise without any checks and balances from from competition. So that was the initial impetus for passing these laws um, against that sort of monopolistic behavior in order to encourage competition. And in a general sense, over a century or so, those protections sort of gradually eroded, um, mostly due to political changes. And so we get to a point where we're in like the 1990s, late 1990s, early 2000s, when when many of our our current social media giants were born um, in this climate without strong anti-monopoly ideas. So this antitrust stuff had kind of gone by the wayside at that point. And so, in fact, I mean, if we think about your examples of Facebook, Amazon, and Google, not too long ago, these companies were seen as sort of like scrappy upstarts, you know, they were seen as like the underdogs um, only maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And not very many people foresaw the way that these companies would come to have this kind of uh, strong market dominance that they have today. And today, you know, people are noticing, like, like you mentioned, this discussion has come up in many contexts recently, people are noticing how these companies control a lot of our media environment. And so this older idea of antitrust law um, has been suggested as a way to break them up so that um, not only do we not suffer, I mean, the issue with with media companies, as opposed to general companies, is not so much about the prices to the consumer, but more about the way that our information gets filtered through these large platforms. Um so like the problem though with, uh, with antitrust is that unlike let's say a steel company or some other sort of industry, social media companies, they only get big in the first place through network effects. So they need to dominate a market in order to succeed at all. Facebook wouldn't be valuable if it didn't have the number of users it has. So uh, the value, because the value of Facebook to its users is dependent on how many other people are also using the site, right? So, this is actually kind of a more difficult question than it appears because, in suggesting that these companies be broken up, we might also be suggesting inadvertently or maybe um, on purpose that these companies shouldn't exist at all. Because once you break up Facebook, it fundamentally undermines the thing that Facebook is, right? So, I think like there's a bigger question under there, and one that's a lot more difficult than proposing. Um, for example, I know Elizabeth Warren in the U.S. This is one of her platform points: is that she proposes that Facebook should break off from Instagram and WhatsApp, which were sort of rivals, I guess, that in, that Facebook bought up, right? And so she's proposed, oh, break them off again and have them be independent companies. And that not is not necessarily, I mean, that not, might not necessarily address the problem. A. And it also doesn't get at the bigger thing that's at stake, which is this whole issue of network effects. So that's one, one piece of the puzzle that's not really mentioned. The other is that, um, you know, in thinking back to the original um, idea behind antitrust to protect consumer prices, the other issue here is that the prices, if we can call them that, for their services of, of Amazon, Facebook and Google aren't going up right? So um, that was like the main reason to have antitrust laws to protect consumers from higher prices. So really, um, lawmakers would need to redefine the way that we think about prices, because using Facebook, obviously, it's free, you don't pay to use it. However, there is a cost privacy cost, <laughs> Right. So if the cost is privacy, if the cost is misinformation, or whatever, um, that needs to somehow be enshrined in legislation in a way that can be measured um, in order to be able to prove in a court that Facebook's prices to consumers are increasing. So I think like that's another kind of piece to, to use antitrust. Um, so, you know, that's again, a kind of more difficult threat to measure. It has to be measurable in order to be able to, to prove that. And then third thing, last thing, Um, Another problem, uh, or maybe a deeper problem with this antitrust suggestion, or a more difficult one to untangle at least, is that many of these social media giants are not only platforms, but infrastructure. So Google is probably the preeminent example of this um, in North America, since they are funding internet connectivity itself. So they're putting in undersea cables, they're putting in fiber connections, um, not only in North America, but everywhere. Um, Facebook, we could see at their free basics platform as being a sort of infrastructure to the internet. So these companies are not just, I mean, just, <laughs> not just like social networking sites, not just email or maps or whatever. There's a whole huge infrastructure underlying all of the kinds of um, initial services that they, they provided us. So that is also another, um, I guess, kind of difficult web to untangle because these companies can act uh, in a discriminatory way at all kinds of levels, you know, that are super fundamental to our communications infrastructure. And so any one government itself has the problem of trying to get underneath the way that many of these social media giants have become like global connectivity infrastructures. So that's another another problem to antitrust. Yeah, so antitrust is a great suggestion. I think it's a really provocative suggestion, but one that it's not going to work in its current form.
0: (laughs) No, I agree. There seems to be like many layers that need to be fixed before you can even think about breaking them up. Yes, definitely.
1: Yeah. And I probably all of these things will have to be untangled one at a time. And it's a very daunting task for regulators who are also under all kinds of pressures, which I'm sure we'll talk about. (laughs) Oh, no, I can only
0: imagine. But just a little question about the infrastructure. So Mm -hmm. all the infrastructure that Google puts in is owned by Google and can only be used by
1: Google? Well, so Google can rent it out. Okay. So similar to the way that telephone lines worked, right, where you have Bell laying all of the infrastructure for the phone, but you would rent it out to different companies, for example. Um, So you can have that. But but because Google has so much money, you know, building infrastructure is really, really expensive. So because these companies have so much cash, they're able to more effectively build this infrastructure like undersea cables, which is a pretty big undertaking to try to put in. Um, So, you know, that's one of these problems with monopolistic businesses is they um, not only corner a market, but they have huge, huge cash flows and they're able to, to spend that cash on these sorts of infrastructural systems that then lock in their competitors to their infrastructure.
0: Yeah. And then I was just thinking, I feel like the privacy issue, I'm not sure if this is the case or not, but I feel like it's a really kind of North American issue. And I, I, Like, because in some developing countries, Facebook is like the only internet that they have or the only way they can connect with each other. So I wonder how antitrust would affect
1: more developing countries. Yeah, so Facebook's Free Basics program, which, as you mentioned, in some places in the world is really the only way that many people have any sort of internet access, is probably like the key Um, program that's targeted in this way. Um, Because Facebook, of course, would say, well, we're giving people internet connectivity, we're closing the digital divide. Isn't this a valuable thing we're doing? And at some levels, yes, it is a valuable thing, obviously, um, given the sort of current idea that uh, we should be closing these digital divides, and, and we should be providing connectivity. So yes, Facebook is doing something in some ways, that could be seen as benevolent. And, you know, some countries, governments have partnered with Facebook in order to do this. So there's that level. Um, the other level, of course, is though that um, Facebook then controls what the internet is, right? So Facebook determines what sites you go on um, through that platform. And then speaking of privacy, you have to have a Facebook account to even use it. So they end up getting more users and more users. It means more data. Yeah. So Uh, Yeah, the privacy concern is in some ways, um, as Zizi Papaharisi, who's a a scholar in um, Chicago, she calls it privacy as a luxury commodity. And what she means by that really is this thing that you're saying that people in more kind of affluent positions have more agency over um, their privacy. And so, you know, sometimes you have no choice. And that's certainly the case in these sorts of countries that have rolled out free basics. So I think, yeah. Very tricky. Yeah. So that's, that's another like, kind of flip side to the coin of the infrastructure question, right. Is like, If these companies control the infrastructure, then they, in some ways, have access to all the data that traverses their infrastructure as well.
0: Okay, so I think you've given us a lot to think about, Dr. Shepard. This marks the conclusion of part one of our platform regulation podcast with Dr. Shepard. This part was mostly about the antitrust action, and next part will be more about the realities of platform regulation and what it takes to regulate big platforms like Facebook, specifically in Canada. So I hope everyone enjoyed this podcast. It was incredibly engaging and educational. Thank you so much, Dr. Shepard. And for everyone else, thank you for tuning into this episode. You can catch more episodes on cgo.mcmaster.ca. See you soon for part two.